Good to be back. Missed you all last week, um, but we're, we're, we're all well again, thank the Lord. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I'm excited this morning about getting to share a new uh, series with you, which we're going to be going in until at least Easter, and then we'll see how it goes. Um, but uh, this, this series is called Blessed to be a Blessing. Um, a little phrase that hopefully is easy for you to think about and remember, you're blessed to be a blessing. And, uh, and I'm going to take some time this morning to try and introduce the theme and, um, and set us up for where we're, we're going to go. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see, what, we'll see what the Lord wants to do and say. Let me just try and frame why we're speaking of this and why we feel the Lord has led us this way. Um, I think we can all be, um, we, we, we can, we, I think it's fair to say that God is preparing us for something. That um, we've been feeling and sensing that, you know, particularly as we've had wonderful, wonderful news about the new building and things that are opening up and developing, that God has been speaking to us, and there's there's something ahead of us, and we've had that sense for quite a while. You know, last year during the summertime, you might remember that we did a series called. Um, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was about Deuteronomy, okay? And um, <clears throat> which was basically preparing us, a people of promise, I think that's what it was called. And it was about, you know, being prepared for inheriting the land. It was the context in Deuteronomy as Moses is preaching to the new generation just before they're about to go into the promised land. And um, we had that sense that we were waiting for something a little bit like that generation on the plains of Moab. And Moses was preaching his heart out before he died to say, listen, this is how you need to inherit the land. This is what you need to think about. And uh, and then in September, we felt the Holy Spirit give us that word advance, and we're still holding that word that to go forward. We're not uh, amongst those that in Hebrews it says that shrink back, but that, that we needed to be prepared for, I think, a, a unique opportunity in our lifetime to reach the, the lost. And then, and, 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 and how we advanced, though, we felt it was really important that we Listen to the Lord for what he was teaching the church through this unique time that we are living in, how we were being humbled and how we were being refined as his people. And, um, and that, you know, that all felt very much part of the preparation. And then we've come into 2022 with this wonderful confirmation from the Lord around the building and miraculous sense of provision. And we have been feeling the Lord continue to speak to us about how we, how we get ready, how we prepare as much as we need to get on, on with it in the everyday right now as well. And so our Life Rhythms theme in January was really, really appropriate, I think, because it was trying to say to us, and what we were trying to communicate was, as the Lord leads us to occupy and more space, as he enlarges the place of our territory physically and geographically, that as people we need to be enlarged first and foremost. And, and so we wanted to encourage each other to get really super practical about that. And, and I do want to encourage encourage you to continue to go back to that life rhythm stuff and bring it out in life groups and let, let's get practical about that. We do want to keep talking about it. We'd really love it not to be just another little series, but um, something that can really speak to us as we go forward and change parts of our lives. And so with all that in mind, I guess we want to build on those foundations, that sort of theme that's been unfolding over the last year or so. And, um, and I want us to start to think about how we steward the blessings that we feel like the Lord has been pouring out upon us and the sense of the Lord's favor that we're feeling on our lives as we move forward, that, that it's important for us, we feel, to learn and to understand what it is to, to steward and to resource what God has 
given us and blessed us with. Um, Keith had shared a word with us as a leadership team when we were praying and discerning the Lord over the last month about, uh, I think it was, he was saying the morning that he had heard the news about the gift, that there was a very strong sense in which, you know, he felt, how do we respond to this as God's people? It, 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 it elicits, if you like, a response in our hearts and our spirits, such an act of generosity. And I guess as we've been thinking about what that response is, I've been quite keen as we've chatted it around together for us to become people that grow into an understanding of what it is to grow an influence in the stewardship of the things of the kingdom. See, a lot of time in Northern Ireland, we're really good at um, saying things like um, at playing ourselves down, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about this over the series, but we, we dress up um, not really growing in God as faithfulness. So, so we say things like, I'm just, I'm just being faithful, I'll just keep showing up, which isn't a bad quality, it's a good quality, it's better than not showing up, but often we don't actually grow with that showing up. And God, I think, has bringing us to a place as a people where he wants us to grow up in our understanding of what he actually, as a good father, wants to entrust us with as his kids. But we have to learn how to be entrusted with that. Let, let, me, let me put it like this, okay? Just like sort of basic logical terms. If we want to rewrite the story of the city, what's it going to take? It's going to take heart and availability and surrender first and foremost. But if we actually want to see tangible physical change in our city, if we want the education system to change, there's no real school for a lot of the, you know, there's no real school for a lot of young people in Lurgan, for example, at the, at the sort of senior high age. It's not, it's not there. It's not really good enough. I don't think on our watch that these things can happen. Wouldn't it be great if the church could just raise the money to buy the school, build the school? If we wanted to see, if we wanted to see um, things happen in the adoption and care system, if we wanted to see stuff happen for those young girls that we're encouraging not to have an abortion and we wanted to set up pregnancy crisis centre, if we wanted to do all that stuff, basically what I'm trying to say, I'm just trying to give you some examples. If we wanted to do all of that stuff, what's it going to take? Here's what it's going to take. It's going to take millions. Like it's going to take millions of pounds, isn't it? If we wanted to see actual tangible change, if we want to see systems change, structures change, it's going to take millions. My next question would then be, does God have millions? Is God short of a pound or two? Does God, is God going up there counting his pennies going, I'm not sure whether or not we could do that? I think we'd all probably agree he owns a cattle on a thousand hills and all of that, right? So he's not broke. So what is the disconnect? If there's a bunch of God's people that are going, we want to give ourselves heart spurt wholeheartedly to rewriting the story of the city, to see cha tangible change in people's lives. And then God has all the money in the world that's needed. What's the gap? The gap, I think, is a church, and just speaking generally here, not this church, because the church has been incredibly generous. The gap is the children of God don't know how to steward the hyperabundance of heaven. They don't know how to steward money and possession and resource because if God's got it and God wants to make a difference with it and God wants his people to be used to make a difference of it, then there must be some kind of problem in his children's understanding of how to handle it because therefore he can't entrust them fully with it. 
or he would entrust them with more. Do, do you see where I'm going here? So, and Chan, just to provoke us a little bit to start thinking, is there an opportunity for all of us as the people of God to be challenged, to grow all together? And I think this is very much coming from an encouraging place because I think God really wants to teach us about this. Let, let me explain why. This time last year, we had £100,000 in our savings. This time last year, okay? That's only a year ago, 12 months. £100,000 in our savings. Today, we have £455,000 in our savings, plus somebody has bought a building for us that was worth just less than 200000 Just like that. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if that happens to you in your personal life much, right? Or that, that's a normal occurrence for you. I hope it is, right? But what I'm trying to say is that kind of thing doesn't just usually happen, Right? To go from 100,000 one year to 455,000 in a year, plus somebody buys you a building that's worth less than just 200,000. So could it be that God is actually trying to get our attention to go, what I want you to think about as the people of God is how we steward resource. And is he allowing us to see a little glimpse of the first fruits of what he's calling us to in the future? Because we still need to raise over half a million to finish this building. Plus, if we actually don't want to be just about a building, but rewrite the story of the city for multitudes, then we're going to need millions. Not millions for us to, you know, enjoy, obviously, just ourselves, but millions to rewrite the story of the city. So the question at the heart of this is, is there an opportunity for us all to grow in stewardship, to grow in our understanding of the kingdom? And that's, that's the question I want to ask us this morning. How do each one of us, every one of us, not just the leadership, but how, how do each one of us in our personal lives, but also as a, as a community, how do we all become better stewards of the provision of God? How do we enter into the economy of the kingdom? Because it's a different economy to the economy of the world, but there is an economy in the kingdom. It's just very different to the way the one in the world works, where the father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills will entrust us out of the abundance of heaven with what he's got to glorify him in the nations. And so the, the, the idea what we're talking about is a biblical sort of concept called this word stewardship. Um, I, I was, I was going to call, we were going to call the series stewardship or something with stewards, but people don't really like understand that word. It's not the most kind of catchy word, stewardship. We often think of stewards just somebody show somebody to their seat or something like that, but... <clears throat> The, the, the idea of stewardship, while it's not a biblical word, if you like, it's a core, a core, core, core biblical concept right from beginning to end. It's not a word that we often use that much. And the church never talk, doesn't talk about this, sorry, enough or as much as it should. And so I want to introduce this to you today. So today and next week, I'm going to be setting this up and then we're going to really get into the Bible and uh, well, we're getting into the Bible today too, but we're going to get into the Bible through this series and really unpack this theme because I think it's, um, it's a really rich theme. But at a basic kind of definition level, here's a, here's a, um, a, a bit of a definition for it to start with. That everything we are and everything we have has been given to us from God to enjoy and to channel for his purposes. We aren't owners we are custodians or guardians, partners who have been entrusted with divine worth. So that we've been given something from God. We've been entrusted at their very core original design as image bearers of God. We've been entrusted with divine worth. And we've been called to channel that for divine 
purposes. And we see this uh, throughout, <clears throat> we'll see this throughout this, the series, but biblical, uh, biblical stewardship does not decry money and possessions per se, as long as they're used for the purposes of God. But at a God-designed level, each and every one of us were designed. We were blessed. We have been immeasurably blessed in order that we might enjoy that blessing, but in order that we would overflow with blessing. You have been blessed to be a blessing. That is part of your core vocation and purpose in the world. You have been blessed to be a blessing. And what I've found in my experience of the kingdom, and as I've kind of grown up within the church and in the things of the church, we grow in authority, we grow in influence in the kingdom by how we steward what God has given us. That's, that's how we actually grow in influence. We grow in influence by the measure of our stewardship. The best way to think often about stewardship, I think, is off in, 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 uh, in relation to your kids. Like you, you want them not to be you know, me, 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 when they're two or three, they, they don't have loads of a radar for o overflowing with, here, I've been blessed with some sweets, I'll give you my sweets, you know what I mean? It's like, I want sweets, you know? And those little moments where we do see them start to begin to share and all of that, we start to feel like, yeah, that's a good thing. They're not being selfish, they're, they've realized they've been blessed and, they, and they're overflowing with that. <clears throat> and as your kids get older, <clears throat> you want them to grow in that, don't you want them to grow and influenced by realizing that what they have been given has been a blessing in order that they can invest that in others and in the things of the kingdom so that they can increase in influence. So I'm going to turn to a passage of scripture here. Um, I'm not going to put it all on the screens because it's quite long, but it's Matthew chapter 25, 14 to 30. If you want to turn to it, if you have Bible or on your phone, you can do that. Or if not, don't worry at all about it. I'll just read it to you. It's a well-known well passage. It's called the Parable of the talents, and um, um, next week we're basically going to go back to Genesis and start at the start and help you understand how this biblical theme of stewardship runs from the beginning to the end, but I want to just start by introducing the theme today by reading you the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, it's the parable of the talents, and I think you'll find um, this helps us to really think about where we're going. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, keyword, entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had five bags of gold went once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had two bags of gold came also. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, sorry, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, <clears throat> even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Deep breaths. <laughs> so this is a, <clears throat> this is a pretty uh, powerful, well-known parable. There's lots of things I could say about it this morning, but I want to make four quick points as, as we tee up this series and how we're going forward. The first thing I want to say is this. In the parable, what we learn is we've all been entrusted with something. So there's three servants. The master goes on the journey. He gives them all some of his wealth. Now, we, we, we want to... <clears throat> I guess here's a bit of a disclaimer with this series. When we talk about how we're blessed to be a blessing, we're talking about our whole lives, okay? Because we've been blessed in many ways with talents, with abilities, with finance, um, uh, with time, uh, with possessions, all those things. But we are, we are going to talk about money um, because Jesus did a lot. And often money was a test case for what was going on in your heart. Because the thought of giving money away sometimes strikes terror inside you because money becomes attached to our identity in a way that a lot of other things don't. So, so we are going to talk about that because, because Jesus did. But what I want, just, I want us, we want us all to think about is the many ways that we have been blessed but in this particular parable, we sometimes use the word talent to think about our abilities and all of that thing. But talent didn't really mean that until about the 15th century, okay? So when Jesus is talking in this particular parable, he's talking, he's talking about a monetary amount of, of wealth, okay? And so he, he entrusts the man with the three servants. The man trusts the three servants with, with talents, and we'll see, see how much they're worth in a moment. But they all get something. They've all received something. One got five, one got two, and one got one. And it's really hard to say much more than that because the passage doesn't say much more than that. Now, in our mindsets, we want to go, well, why did somebody get five and somebody only get two and somebody only get one? Of course, that's the way our minds think. But the parable doesn't tell us why. And what it does tell us is actually here it says in verse 15, to one he give five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his own ability. So it seems to be that there are just some people, depending on their abilities, that it looks like they have more capacity to hold more or contain more. And I guess when you look at the world, it seems like that. Some, and that doesn't mean certain people are better than others. God, who is the source of the gift, he is the Lord of the gift, he, it's his, he's the arbiter of it. He decides who, who gets what. What we're going to see is it doesn't really matter how much you get. It matters what you do with what you've been given. And what we see in this particular parable is some get five, some get two, some get one. And I think we're supposed to 
accept that and become aware that everybody gets something. Everybody has been entrusted with something. If you jump to the New Testament, there's this great verse in 1 Corinthians that says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone, right? So each and every one of us from the same Lord have been given a blessing in huge and very different ways. We've all been, we've all been blessed and sometimes it looks like other people have more gifts than others. The thing about it is, when you start to think about that, what you don't realize is that person has a greater responsibility to make sure that what they have been given, they give back to God, which is what we see in this particular parable. We're all given something. And so while that's encouraging, it's also a challenge. Because if you feel today that you are maybe one of those that have only been given the one, which you probably haven't, by the way, but if, if you feel like that, you don't get an out. <laughs> you don't get an out in this story because everybody has been given something. If we feel like we've got that point in life where we've nothing to give and nothing to offer, we really want to help you with that because that's a lie of the enemy. And we really want to empathize with the struggle or the heartache you have gone through to get you to that place. But even if you're in that place, you have been given something. You have been blessed to be a blessing. You can't emphasize this enough as we go into the series. Everybody gets something. Point number two, what we have been given is of extravagant worth, <laughs> right? So it's more than you can imagine. In this particular parable, they were given talents. It was, as I said there a moment ago, it was a monetary weight, a measurement of monetary value. And one talent, one talent was worth 20 years roughly of wages. So think about what your wage is for one year, multiply it by 20, 15 to 20, and that was roughly what one of those talents was. So you can imagine the guy that got five got somewhere around the value of 100 years, cumulatively speaking, wages added up. So there was a huge level of investment. So whether you got one, two, or five, there was an incredible amount of worth that was given to each of the servants in this passage. And I guess the point that Jesus wanted to make and the point that we want to make is what each and every one of us carry is of incredible worth. It's inestimable. It is incalculable. Because it's a weight of divine glory that God has placed in you. You've been made in the image of God. He's put and deposited something in you of a worth beyond what we can imagine. And we, we want to become more and more aware of that so that we can realize how God has blessed us with that in our own unique ways in order that we can be a blessing. Each of us have been uniquely created preciously before the Lord to be a deposit, to have a deposit of his glory within us. Each of us is laden with sacred meaning. It's like a divine stamp of approval has been placed upon our lives. You are one of God's original ideas. From his heart, his intention towards you is good. Nobody is a mistake. Your mom and dad might have had an idea that they wanted you in the world. But more than that, it was 
God who has dreamed you into existence. It was God who shaped you in your mother's room. It was God who fashioned you in the way that you would be with all your little quirks and individual kind of foibles and eccentricities and all of that. That's, that's you. And sin is obviously damaged and corrupted and perverted and tarnished that glory. But in Jesus, and because of what Jesus has done, we rediscover our original design. And we realize we have been, we have been blessed. We haven't just been fixed up. We've been healed, restored, and blessed in order to overflow with blessing. That is our original design. There are no ordinary people. I love this from C.S. Lewis. Reminded myself about it this week as I was preparing. There are no ordinary people. You may have never, you have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. It's really quite a profound quote. We're all going to live forever. And there's, there's been something deep that's been placed in us. We've all been blessed to be a blessing. And, and it also speaks to us of the fact of, the, of what I said at the start. God is a God of extravagant abundance. <laughs> He owns it all. The earth is the Lord's and the glory therein. And so we, we, we see a sign in the, the amount that each are entrusted with of how much God has and owns. So the core question, and if everyone's been given something and that something is of incredible worth, the core question in the passage is what are you going to do with what you've been given? And I guess this is the, this is the, repeated, the repeatable challenging question throughout the series. What are you going to do with what you've been given? That's the, that's the core question that this parable is really asking. It's interesting that the master in the story requires the same response. So whether they got five, two, or one, he wanted the same response. He wanted an investment for what he had entrusted them with. And of course, the one, the result is, if you picked up the story, maybe, maybe you're not familiar with it, the one who got five, give him back ten. The one who got two, give him back four. And the one who got one, went and buried it and just give him back the one. But the response to the one who gave back ten and the response to the one who gave back four was pretty much exactly the same. Okay? So it wasn't like because the one had five and he gave him back ten, he, he, got, he got more kudos because... He, 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 like, at a, at a figure level, level give back more. No, the, the guy had two and give back four, had the same response pretty much as the guy had five and give back ten, because the question is not who gets the most. The question is what will you do with what you've been given? And our society wants us to pay more attention to the first question, which is compare, envy, jealousy, measure your worth against other people. But that's not in this passage. That's not what this passage is about. In fact, this passage is challenging all that to say, get past all that and ask the deeper question is, what have you been given and what are you going to do with it? Never mind what everybody else has got and worrying about whether you're going to get as much as them, right? That's, that seems to be what this is saying. Because comparison, what we find is comparison is a joy stealer. Comparison just steals your joy. And that's why we have got such a problem today with you know, so many people on social media and they kind of, you know, they kind of inst inst the Instagram life, you know, 
that we, we can kind of compare and judge one another against. And that's why our teenagers are really struggling with all of that kind of stuff that goes on. Because comparison steals your joy and steals our identity. The core question, what will you do with what you've been given? Fourth and final point, let's say a few more things about this before we close. There is a day of reckoning coming. The Lord of the gift is coming back. And he is going to ask, what did you do with what you've been given? This is, this, this is what this parable challenges us with. And it's set within the context of Matthew 25, where other parables, sheep and the goats and others, where it's very clear that the master is coming back. And the master's coming back, the Lord of the gift is coming, and he's going to ask the servants in the story, and he's going to ask, I think, all of us, as we stand before him one day, what did you do with what you've been given? The first two servants are the good servants. They invest what God has given them. They're intentional. They're not lazy. And the master is pleased with them. Now, what is the result for them? The result is they are actually rewarded with more. It says here, well, um, let me see if I can get this. Yeah, it says here, well done. Oh, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of Many things. So back to where I was, uh, when uh, introductory remarks, where I was saying, this is how we grow in influence when we're proven in the stewardship of what we've been given. And so the result of investing well and stewarding well the blessing that they have been entrusted with, they are given more. Uh, look at, uh, and Luke, Luke tells this parable in a slightly different way. And look, look at the result in, in his passage. It says, the first one came and said, sir, your mina, which is another way of describing the particular um, measurement of money, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a small matter, take charge of 10 cities. Like imagine being given 10 cities to have influence over because he'd been faithful with the small matter of what he'd been entrusted with. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. And his master answered, okay, you can take charge of five cities. It's like an exponential increase in influence for being faithful with what you've been given. This is the principle of stewardship. This is how they increase in authority and increase in influence. But what about the poor last servant? He went and buried what he'd been given. And because he buries it, the master is not best pleased. And uh, he just does nothing with it. He plays safe. He's just cautious. No risk. No faith. And he probably says something along the lines of, oh, I was just faithful. Just look, you give me that and I'll give you it back when you come back. I'll just go and put it somewhere and get on with my life. And then I'll, but I'll be faithful and not lose it for you. And the master's like... He's really, really angry. It's almost like you think it's slightly disproportionate, the reaction. But I think we're supposed to realize something here. Let's remind ourselves of just how severe the reaction was. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. The commentators down throughout the ages, some of them anywhere, one or two of them thought, you know, this response is so intense that this last servant, he must have done something really bad. 
So some of them actually read into the passage and actually commentated that he must have lived an immoral life. He must have, you know, sold it on wild living. He must have, you know, he must have done like, he must have been really sexually immoral or something along those lines to get such a, a, an intense response. But the, the reality is it's not in the passage. The, the master's just really angry because he just did nothing. And it, it, it seems... It seems to really kind of grieve God that when he has entrusted and invested people with divine worth, it seems to, to grieve him when they just do nothing, when they just bury what they've been given. And he doesn't take responsibility. And this seems offensive to the master. John Ortberg puts it like this. Um, let me, oh, I don't have this, sorry. Yeah, there it is. Our lives are not about self-preservation and fulfillment, but to be acts of stewardship. To, be fa- to fail to be good stewards of what God has given them is a form of robbing him. This is, the, this is the principle of stewardship because at the heart of the Christian faith and at the heart of the Bible and the biblical story is, is the idea of taking responsibility. See, we'll, we'll not get into it too much because we'll get here in a couple of weeks, but when man and woman sinned, what did they do straight away? They failed to take responsibility for their actions. She made me do it. He, he made me do it. The serpent made us do it. Yeah? And what happens is we get into like a little bit of a victim mentality. Of it's their fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's everybody else's fault. And part of coming back into alignment with Jesus through the cross is taking responsibility for what he's given us and investing it for his purposes in order to realize that the core vocation of our lives is to be blessed in order to be a blessing. Not to compare with other people, not, 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 not to live in the regret of the past, but to take responsibility for our lives. And see, the opposite of taking responsibility is what, the, in a Bible word, is the word sloth. And sloth was one of the seven deadly sins in ancient times, they, they thought sloth was up there with some of the worst sins. And, and sloth gets at the idea of not taking responsibility. It's not just about being lazy. You can be busy and be slothful because you're not taking responsibility for what you've been given and doing that properly. Brenning Manning describes the last servant as, as like this the one who buried his gift. He or she limps through on childhood memories of Sunday school and resolutely refuses the challenge of growth and spiritual maturity. Unwilling to take risks, this person loses the talent entrusted to him or her. The master wanted his servants to take risks. He wanted them to gamble with his money, to use it or lose it. The consequence wasn't good for the servant, but there is more to this response as I kind of finish. What happens next The master takes the one talent off the one who got one and he gives it to the one who had ten. It says um, later on, it says, So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken away from them. So there's always part of me that struggled with this a little bit because it sounds to me like, Jesus, you're taking off the poor and giving it to the rich. You're taking the guy that had only got one. You're taking that from him, and you're giving it to the guy who has ten. That sounds like the opposite of what you came here to do. 
But then you start to realize this parable isn't about the rich and the poor. This parable is about what are you going to do with what you've been given? And so Jesus takes off the one from the one who only got one and he gave it to the one who gave him back 10 for his five because he knew he could entrust him with what he'd been given. It's not primarily about how much money you have. It's about can you be entrusted with more from God because you have proven in what you have been given that you are blessed to be a blessing. And, and so I, I want us to try and carry that question through the next number of weeks and months. And it's such a privilege to be part of a church that in many ways gets this, that has understood this, that has chosen to allow their lives to be shaped by this. And knowing many of your stories, as I look around the room, it, uh, it encourages me that God has seen fit, I think, to begin showing us the first fruits of how he wants us to increase in this. But as we go forward, I do really believe that there is a fresh level of stewardship that the Lord wants to grace us with as a church. I want to see that happen in your individual lives because that's where it starts. I want to see the blessing of God come in your homes, in your families, in your businesses, so that you can enjoy the blessing of God because we'll get to this next week. You were born to enjoy the blessing of God. And next week we're going to deal with the myths of this. So we're going to deal with the poverty spirit and we're also going to deal with the prosperity gospel and hopefully we're going to kung fu both them kick them both in the face out the window right and not let them kind of like define who we are anymore and we're going to try and get to the heart of what true biblical stewardship is where we enjoy the blessing of God but we realize that we have been blessed ultimately to be a blessing and if we can prove that in the small if you can prove that with the wage that comes in every month if you can prove that with the time that you give and how you're stewarding your time if you can if you can do that in your own home if you can do that with your own finances then I I was going to say I bet you, which sounds like an awful thing for a pastor to say, and particularly when it comes to money, and I don't want to, I'm not a bad man or anything, but I kind of, you know what I mean, right? I, I, I can guarantee, that's the word I'm looking for, I can guarantee that you will see an increase in the blessing of God in your life. And, and it'll not be so you can get more money for yourself. It'll be because you will be stewarding the Lord, the, the things of the Lord. I guess what I want to say, the test case is off. It's not all about money, but the test case is often proven in how we handle our money. To keep it um, simple, um, two, two quotes to finish with, and then I'm going to pray. Um, oh, do I have them, Johnny? John Wesley, in his short and succinct kind of way, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. These were, these were guys that lived through times of awakening and revival saw the blessing of God and the outpouring of the Spirit poured out, but they were clever, bought property, built children's institutions, bought schools, invested in the homeless, helped do something about slavery because God had seen fit to entrust them with finance, even though they weren't storing up treasures on earth. And, uh, and I, think God, I think God is calling us to that. To that. And uh, I get excited about that. Some words from John Ortberg to finish. Johnny, can you put these up? Because we're on a few slides. Let me read this quote uh, from um, uh, John Ortberg. It says this, You can drift, get up, go to work, come home, eat supper, watch TV, retire and die. Or you can take each moment and say, God, this is yours. You can offer him your spiritual giftedness, not compared with anyone else, as fully honed and developed as you can get it. Identified with Christian clarity, 
cultivated with relentless perseverance, deployed with unstoppable vigor, submitted with sacrificial humility, and celebrated with raucous joy. You may have lavish talents, resources of finances, networks, or abilities that could produce huge returns for the Lord of the gift, and you're just sitting on them. They're buried. It's time for you to get in the game. Investing in the kingdom of God is the best investment you will ever make. And, uh, and so what I want to encourage us as we finish is each and every one of us have been blessed with an incalculable level of worth and blessing. You've been, you've been blessed. And we, we want you to become aware of the blessing that you have received from the Lord. But you have been blessed to be a blessing. And once we give it to the Lord, what we're going to see is in the economy of the kingdom, it's not addition, it's multiplication. And the multiplier effect of you investing what you've been given into the soil of the kingdom can have exponential supernatural responses. Five loaves and two fish can feed 5,000 and have 12 baskets left over. That, that's what can happen when we give God what we've been given. And that's what he can do with it. And that's what I want to pray over us as we enter into this series together. Why don't we stand together and let me just pray over us before we leave. <clears throat> Why don't you just, uh, if, if you're comfortable, no worries if you're not, if you want to maybe just even hold your hands out in front of you, just as a sign of saying and remembering what you have received and that God in this uh, next few days and weeks would help you become more aware of what has been placed in your hands, if you like, what has been deposited in you. And so, Lord, I, I just, uh, I want to ask your Holy Spirit just to come now and increase the sense of your presence and the awareness in our hearts that you are here. And Lord, I just thank you for each and every person standing in this room. And Lord, I just declare that you have crowned them with glory and honor. I thank you that you have blessed them all in unique and beautiful and creative ways. And God, I thank you for that unspeakable gift that you have given them, the gift of Jesus, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, his salvation, his redemption, his wholeness. And because of that, Lord, all that beautiful stuff that you've placed in us, you're stirring up, you're rediscovering in us, you're bringing to our minds. And Lord, I just pray that even as we think about your glory today, that the weight of your glory, that we would just feel that resting in us and on us, even on our hands right now. And Lord, as we become more clear and more aware of, Lord, the truth that we've been blessed to be a blessing, would you, would you bring that in, in our own individual and unique ways? Would you bring that revelation to us? Holy Spirit, would you bring that truth to us? Would you, would you bring that insight to us? Would you encourage us and challenge us today as we seek, as individuals and as a community, to be blessed, O oh God, blessed to be a blessing. In this day we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Um, thanks for being here this morning.